Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> yeah, hi. <laughs> We're so happy that you guys are here with us this morning. If everybody could come in and settle down, we are going to be worshiping our Lord. And what a blessing it is to know that Jesus is our best friend. to that, Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that we can come together and that we can experience your power in our lives, that we can experience your love, your grace, your mercy. These are gifts from you, and we just enjoy them, Father. Lord, we're here today to worship Jesus, and we thank you for that opportunity, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. We're here to lift up the Lord together and glad that you've chosen to do that with us. Before we continue singing, sometime in the, during the service, actually, take some time and fill out the connection card. If you're watching us online, we ask that you do the same so we can keep in contact with you. But at this time, the praise band is going to continue to lead us in worship. <laughs> Thank you. 
Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and will and end, and it will be given to him. Let the glory of the Lord 
Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the glory of the Lord rise among us. Let the praises of the King rise among us. Let it rise. I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give you counsel. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress. Oh, you are my portion, you are my hiding place. Well, I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. Through every blessing, through every promise, through every breath I take, I believe that you are provider, you are protector, you are the one I love. I believe you are the way, the truth.
my fears and doubts They can all come too Because they can't stay long When I believe you are the way The truth The lie I believe you are the way The truth It was good to see everybody this morning. Thank you. I noticed we had some people wandering in. That's good. We're, we're glad to have you come in whenever you can get in here. <laughs> oh, well, I was going to say something, but I won't get in trouble. <laughs> well, today we are uh, concluding our series on true religion. And what's interesting is the thought that we're going to be going through today, it's last but not least in the mind of James. And it's interesting that as we've gone through the book of James, we've noticed, and if you didn't already know this, if you've not been through the book before, James's is, uh, James is book is very practical. It's very down to earth. It, it just is easy to understand. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to figure out what he's telling us. But with all the practical moral teachings found in the book of James, James is going to shift gears into something that is vital for the life and in the life of those who call themselves by the name of Christ, those who follow Jesus. It's super important. Today our message is entitled Conversations with God. And if we're going to walk with Jesus, we really have to be in constant communication with him. You really can't walk with him if you're not going to do that. And we call this communication prayer. And I know in the tradition that I was raised in, you know, I was pretty much thought that prayer is, and then you bow down. And that's a little hard to do when you're driving, you know, although when you're texting and driving, it's kind of, but anyway, um, prayer is how we connect with God. It's how we express ourselves to God. It's how we seek answers from God, and it's how we get guidance from God. Imagine being in a relationship where there was no communication, or the communication you had was only passing information. Imagine being in a marriage where if your spouse, the only time you talk to them is when you needed something or you just had to tell them something, but nothing else. And then even then, you didn't really do it all the time. You just kind of did it when you thought about it. What kind of relationship do you think you would have? See, if we followed all that James has offered to us so far in his book, but we fail to pray, we would be very moral people with no relationship with God. Because you can, you, if you follow the premise of Scripture and you don't have a connection with God, if you can do a lot of that, you're going to be a pretty moral person. But is that really our goal? See, as Christians, our goal is not to be moral people. It's a result, but it's not the goal. The goal is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as a result, then all the other things start to fall in place. But as James kind of ends this letter, he moves from some further warnings about the abuse of wealth, and, and he shifts over to this broad appeal to prayer. He talks about, you suffering? What do you do? Are you sick? What do you do? If you're trapped in sin, what do you do? And see, the construction of these scenarios that James offers us tells us, because they're kind of in form of rhetorical questions, it points to the, inevitabil the inevitability, I just, I'm getting tongue-tied on it, the surety that something's going to happen. Gosh, it, it works so well in warm-up. But anyway, the way he words this, he says, you will go through suffering. You will go through sickness. You will have times when you're caught in sin. So what do you do? 
He says prayer is the answer. You know, it's, it's the answer. But see, sometimes we think we have the answer. Sometimes we think we can go it alone without God, that we just don't really need him, that he's maybe too busy to deal with our situation. Um, maybe we don't think he will or he can. But see, James reminds us that prayer is the answer. When you're going through these things that we're going to look at, he says, here's the answer, it's prayer. Now, when you go through verses 13 through 18 that we're covering today, the word prayer or prayed or praying is in every verse except for verse 19. It's listed in every verse. He just keeps repeating it. So today we're going to be in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, and we'll begin with verses 13 through 15. And James gonna, begins with a rhetorical question. He says this, Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone in good spirits? He should sing praises. Is, there, is anyone among you ill? He should summon the elders of the church, and they should pray for him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. So our first observation is James offers, first begins this whole treatise on prayer, as he gives us some reasons to pray. Now, this isn't every single reason, but if you look at all the reasons out there to communicate with God, this covers a good chunk of them. They all kind of fall into these different areas of, this, of, these, of these thoughts. But James gives us four instances where he says, you should be having conversations with God. You should be communicating with God. And as I said, prayer is not just the situation where we're bowing our head, putting our hands together, and, and mumbling things to God or saying things in our mind or speaking out loud. It's much deeper. It has to be because 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says constantly pray. Uh, New American Standard says pray without ceasing. It's a, it's a constant thing. We should be in a constant communicative state with God. When you think about it, when you love someone, when you love someone, how often do you want to communicate with them? If you really love a man, you just... When my wife and I were dating, my dad got so mad at me because... For you young people, you don't understand this, but back in the day, we used to have to pay 25, 50 to 75 cents a minute to talk on the phone outside of your local jurisdiction. And my wife lived a ways away, so my dad was getting these nasty phone bills. And he had a few talkings to me. Unfortunately, they didn't really pay much attention. I didn't pay much attention to it because I wanted to talk to Robin. But man, I wanted to talk to her all the time, man. You know, all the time. I still do, by the way. But, it, you know, we were dating. I was like, man, I can't get enough talking to her. See, when you love somebody, you want to communicate with them. You don't want to just walk by, eh, whatever. And see, <clears throat> this is true with God. If you love God, you'll want to communicate with him. You know, with our spouses, we want to share our sorrows, our joys, our struggles, our victories, and everything in between. We want to share those things with the one we love, but if you love God, why don't we want to do the same with him? We want to share all these things with the God who loves us. So James starts out in the first of four instances where he says, hey, you need to be communicating. His first one, he says, is anyone suffering? Now, this probably caught the attention of the readers because they're going like, duh, yeah, we're suffering because the backdrop of the book of James is a church who is being persecuted. And the other thing that was happening is because of the persecution probably had something to do with it. People were turning on each other. You know, sometimes when the pressure's on, you lash out at the ones you love the most. And this was happening, James says, he uses the phraseology, they were biting and devouring one another. And I suspect some of it was the pressure of the persecution. But James says, I'm going to teach you how to react to the changing circumstances and the difficulties you face in your faith. The word suffering in verse 13 is used in conjunction with troubles and calamities throughout the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, throughout what the Old Testament prophets faced at the hands of others. In other words, they suffered because other people were virtually and, and we're laying hands on them. This includes ill treatment, it includes oppression, and the loss of property. This, world, this word, excuse me, deals explicitly with oppression at the hands of others. So James says, are you suffering? In other words, are people oppressing you? And of course, the readers are all too well familiar with this, with this because it was happening to them. When others are oppressing you, what are some ways that you can react? What do we do? How do you react? Anger? Spite? Vengeance? I mean, if somebody's oppressing you, are you like, oh, good, this is, this is, I'm, I'm so happy. God bless you. No, if you're like, you know, for me, my first response a lot of times is anger. Anger. I'm like, I'm angry. 
when I used to work at Square D Company, we had a group of us. We, they hired a bunch of us in at 18 years old, and we'd work there for a while. And, you know, you ever heard the, the phrase, I don't get mad, I get even? Well, we changed that to, I don't get mad, I get ahead. So we took it the extra mile. We followed biblical principles. Go the extra mile. So if you did something to one of us, we would make sure that not only did we get back with you, but we went even further down that path. Uh, I learned later that that's not a cool way to do it. But that's how it is. Or we think, I want vengeance. I want God to smite them or smote them right at this moment. We look for ways to get back at them because we're hurt and we're upset. We're being, we're being, we're, we're suffering. Sometimes we blame God, make him the scapegoat. But James says, when you're, being, when you're in the midst of suffering, what do you do? You communicate with God. You have a conversation with God about it. He knows you're being oppressed, but you need to talk to him. You need to pray to him. Because when it's all said and done, he's the only one that can really do something. So who's better to go to than God? When I used to coach ASA softball, inevitably you had parents who thought their kid was the next Jenny Finch. <clears throat> Believe me, I coached a couple of them with the parents. And they'd sit in the stands and yap about lineups and your kid playing ahead of their kid, making an error. And they say, well, my kid could do that. And I'd want to say, yeah, that's why your kid's not playing there because that's all they can do. But anyway, um, they would always yap to each other. So I had a little speech with the parents at the beginning of the year. I said, listen, if you have questions or complaints, you guys in the, in the peanut gallery can't do anything about it. I make out the lineup. Lenny makes out the lineup. Shane makes the lineup. If you got a problem, you come to us because... We can explain to you why we're doing what we're doing. But see, they didn't want to do that. When we're faced with these issues, when we're faced with suffering, what keeps us from going right to prayer? Why don't we immediately, I need to pray about this. But usually immediately, I'm going to get mad about this. I'm going to think how I can get back at them over this. Sometimes I think it's an issue of trust. And here's what I mean. We go to people when we're struggling that we trust. And all of you have people that you would just tell everything in your life about, tell them all your life, and there's other people you just wouldn't. You're not, you don't have that level of relationship. Maybe you've been burned by them. You just don't quite, you're just not quite there with them. But see, here's the thing with God. I think sometimes we don't trust that God's going to take care of things when I want, how I want, and the way I want it done. We're afraid he's not going to do things the way we want it done. Because honestly, if somebody's suppressing me, man, I want to see God drop the hammer on him now, right this moment. And I want to see it so I can go, yeah, that's what you get. <laughs> I'm a mean person, aren't I? No, I really don't want that. Oh, okay, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I actually do. But anyway, um, no. But the thing is, we have an example of scripture of this, Jonah. Now, the problem is a little bit the opposite. Jonah did trust God. Jonah, God goes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I got a ministry opportunity for you. We're going to go to a place that these people are heathens. They are horrible. They need me. And you're going to bring the message. And you know what's going to happen? I think a lot of, I think that whole area is going to change because of your message. And Jonah's probably like, and it's going to be in Nineveh. He's like, nope, not doing it. I tell you what, those Assyrians were horrible people. If you know your history, probably some of the most brutal people that's ever existed. They were horrible. And Jonah's like, God, I know that if, and he said this later, he says, I know if I go to them and they repent, you know what you're going to do? Exactly what I don't want you to do. You're going to forgive them. I don't want that. I want them to burn in hell. I want them to suffer. I want them to, I just want them to have horrible existences. I don't care if you can save them all. I don't want them saved because they're terrible people. And so Jonah says, I'm not going to do it. And even when he finally did, and what God said would happen, all these people came, came to, their, to their senses. Jonah was mad. I knew this was going to happen. I can't believe you. I can't believe you used me to convert all these people over. It kind of cracks me up. The psalmist, uh, they're always appealing to God to take care of their enemies. You know, Psalm 46.1, for God is, our, is a strong refuge. He's truly our helper in times of trouble. And there's a lot of passages where basically the psalmist are crying, God, get them. God, imprecatory prayers, God, smote them, you know, smite them, do whatever. Yeah, get them, smote them. Anyway, he, he, he tells them, to, the, the psalmists are telling them to do this. Prayer ultimately is the outpouring of the righteous heart to the Father to whom they trust. 
So as we are being, going through suffering, we pour our hearts out to God because we trust him. We trust him. We trust that, yeah, he may not do it when I want it, how I want it, the way I want it, but he will do it the way it needs to be done. God will make sure that what needs to happen will happen. I don't have to take it into my own hands. And man, that is hard. That is hard. So if any of anyone's suffering, pray. And then he shifts the mood to another time when we're called to communicate with God. He says we're to communicate God when we're in good spirits. Now, th- I like this one. So pray when you're in trouble, sing when you're happy. And those songs are to be to God. We're to sing his praises. Um, songs are a way to communicate. You know, we've all seen the movies, and maybe some of you have done this, where you know, you're trying to win your woman, and you're throwing rocks at her window to wake her up in the middle of the night, and then you're out there with the mariachi band or whatever singing to them. I would never do that. If I'm doing that, I've probably had stuff I shouldn't be drinking uh, because I can't, I just won't sing. But the, th- the fact of the matter is, when, you're, when that guy's singing, he's singing to her, his love, his heart, his, you know, Taylor Swift songs, although she's singing like about all the bad guys she dated. But anyway, you know, you're singing to that person. And so James says, hey, when you're in good spirits, when things are going well, you communicate to God, you converse with him, you sing to him, you sing praises to him. Or like me, I would just like talk praises to him. But anyway, you lift your voice to him because you are giving him the glory for the goodness that's going on in your life. Sometimes we forget to do that because we forget the good things in life where they come from. They're coming from him. Both these attitudes that we're talking about, the anger and the praise, are kind of natural attitudes for the different circumstances in life. Together, they're logical and they're proper responses to the changing mood and circumstances. But James says, I don't care what's logical. When you're suffering, pray. When you're in joy, sing praises to him. Enjoy the good times and offer prayers of faith up in the bad times. Sing to God. What kind of relationship would we have with God if the only time he heard from us is when we wanted something or when we needed something? And I know some parents out there that have kids that the only time they hear from those kids Adults, particularly, you know, they're adult kids, is when they want something or when they need something. How does that make you feel as a parent? Doesn't make you feel good, does it? How do you think God feels? If I just go to God, oh God, I need this. Oh God, I want this. Well, what about all the other things I gave you? You never sang any praises for those. You never thanked me for those. You never talked to me about those, but yet you want. You see my point? God says, or James says, we have to be in communication with Him all the time. We would not have a relationship with God if we just called out to him in times of trouble. James also says, hey, when you're sick, you need to pray. We're told that when we're sick, we're to call the elders of the church. Now, the word sick, it doesn't mean, well, no, if you have a man cold, okay, call the elders of the church because you definitely need prayer. Because that, for when we get a cold man, we know how that is. But the word sick is, is the, word, the word that we translate sick denotes someone who's bedfast, who has no strength, who's incapacitated because of the sickness. So he's saying, man, if you got this serious sickness, you need to call the elders so they can come pray over you and anoint you with oil. Now, one point of, I want to make here is that this doesn't say when you are sick, the elders should just figure it out. See, I have a responsibility, if I'm in that position, to make a call or say, get some, hey, get a hold of the guys, man, I need some prayer. I, I, I need them to come pray over me. Because sometimes we think, well, I was sick and no elder called me. Nobody called me. Well, because you didn't tell anybody. I had this happen at one of my churches, and I literally told the leadership, I am not a mind reader. I am not a mind reader. And made sure the people understood that if you are that sick, you need to call the church, and we'll get the elders or whatever we need to do. But the elders were called to pray over people and anoint them with oil. Now, oil, the, the olive oil that was used was used to soothe. It was used to hydrate the skin because the climate there was much like ours. It's a very dry climate. And it was used for a variety of things. But James says, are you sick? Call the elders so they can help pray for you. You're too weak to even pray. Let them come and pray for you. You've got these righteous men who are leading, leading the flock. That's part of what they're called to do. Let's look at verse 15 again. <clears throat> it says, the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, in verse 15, this word translated save can deal with physical healing or salvation issues. When we see one who is healed, and excuse me, we see that one who is healed or saved is done through, done the, this is, they are healed and saved through their prayer of faith. 
So in other words, the faithful prayers is what brings healing to them. Now, the problem we have here is if this sickness is only physical healing, then we have a problem because not every single person we pray over is going to be healed. It just doesn't work. That Wouldn't that be nice? Hey, I'm dying of cancer or whatever. Get the elders prayer over. You're healed. Man, that would be... We'd fill the church up, by the way, maybe not for the right reason, but imagine if every illness, every sickness you had, we could just pray over you and you are healed. Now, there's some ministries, the Blabbit Gravit ministries, who, who teach that you do that. That's not biblical because not everybody gets. So he's not just, he's not really not talking about physical when he's talking about this particular sickness. He's talking about sickness, the, the sickness of sin. He, because he says that if you, if you go through this process, and you've got things that you, need to con- that you need to offer up to God that you're holding back, you'll have healing. God will forgive the one who repents of sin. And really, the end of verse 15, when you look at it, when he talks about, and if he's committed sin, he'll be forgiven. If we do these things, that, those prayers can help bring healing to us. The word six translated 18 times in the New Testament to mean with that meaning in mind, but yet there's 14 times where it speaks of emotional and spiritual weakness. But the struggles with sin can cause spiritual defeat. But one way to fix that is through repentance and confession. So if I have, for instance, if I were stupid and wanted to die, but if I were cheating on my wife, okay, we're probably not going to have very very good communication because there's a block there. There's something that's blocking, and I got a sin that I won't confess, that I'm continuing to do. Do you think we're going to have a good relationship? She'll be thinking, what's wrong with him? You know, he's not, he's not right. And I'm like, well, I don't want to communicate because I'm, I'm sinning against her. And so we can get, you know, spiritually sick from that. A visit from the elders at times can be an encouragement and an opportunity to have some godly men come around you, whether it's physical or spiritual, and bring encouragement to you. This thought of restoration leads to what we find in verse 16. Verse 16 says, and we've done the first part, so confess your sins to one another, pray for one another so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. So this leads into the second thought, that is the heart of effective prayer. For things to be communicated, there has to be clear channels, and there has to be an openness, a trust, knowing that there's nothing being hidden. I've talked about repentance before, but why in the middle of talking about praying and healing does James start all of a sudden talking about confessing of sins? Well, it's simple. He's talking about repentance. As he talks to the church as a whole, he's reminding them if they have issues with one another, they need to confess those and pray for one another. Because if I got issues with my brothers and sisters in Christ, that's going to hinder my prayers to God because there's a block there. Because God loves that person that I don't love. And it's going to cause a problem. The word healed here does not deal with physical healing, but it speaks symbolically. It symbolically represents God's forgiveness, and it could deal with the healing of the relationships that were damaged by this. This thought's reminiscent of what Jesus carried through in Matthew 25, excuse me, Matthew chapter 5, when he's talking about making a sacrifice. He says, So then if you bring your gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come present your gift. So in other words, even when it came to making an offering to God, Jesus says, if your brother has a problem with you, you go fix it. Do everything you can to fix it. And now go make that sacrifice. So that's that same principle. That when we have angst with brothers and sisters in Christ, or even with God, we're going to have a hard time. Our prayers are going to be hindered. Proverbs 28, 13 The one who covers his transgressions will not prosper. The one who confesses them and forsakes them will find mercy. So if we've got sin that we're hiding, sin that we aren't confessing to where it needs to be confessed, it's going to affect our prayer life. It's going to take the effectiveness right out of it because God's like, you got a problem with that person. You're coming to me? Go fix it and let's talk. If we have that unconfessed sin, it's going to affect things in a negative way. Imagine... As I said, you have a relationship with somebody you're sinning against. How solid is that relationship going to be? How healthy is that relationship going to be? If you're holding on to an unconfessed sin, that sin will weigh you down, it will burden you, and it will block your ability to open up to God. See, it's hard to open your heart to God when your heart's not open to God. If your heart's not open to God, you won't open up to God. 
And so we have to be able to lay those things at his feet and trust him. The other part of that is if we doubt that God can heal or that we doubt that God will forgive us, we're not going to go to him because we think, hey, we're just going to go to him. We're going to get hammered for it. We're going to get punished for it. But when we know that our God loves and forgives and saves, why would we not want to take it to him? Don't you want relief from that sin you're struggling with? Don't you want to be relieved from that burden and that guilt? You can do that through him. Earlier in James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, James said this. He says, He must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the wave of the, of the sea, blown and tossed around by the wind. For that person must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord, since he is double-minded and a, a double-minded individual and unstable in his ways. So this is that issue of having that faith, that trust. If I go to God, I don't think he can heal me. I don't think he'll believe me. I don't think he'll do this. Nothing's going to happen. I've got to trust it. I've got to trust that he is going to do what he says he's going to do. You know, I always told my kids, you know, if you do something and I ask you about it, usually I already know the answer. But if you lie to me, man, I'm going to drop the hammer on you like crazy. You'd be honest with me. Yeah, you're still going to suffer a consequence, but it won't be near what it be if you lie. And so when you think about this, when we go to God, we've got to fully be, go full disclosure with him. Full disclosure. And in the long run, instead of being afraid of the punishment, be thankful for the relief. It's important. For our final observation, let's look at verses 16 through 18. It says this. And we covered part of verse 16. So confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. I love this. Elijah was a human being like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and there was no rain on the land for three years and six months. He prayed again, the sky gave rain, and the land sprouted with a harvest. So after all of this, James is saying, okay, I need you to trust God. Prayer is powerful. You need to do this. And he says, you know what? I'm going to show you something called prayer in action. I'm going to show you exactly what prayer can do. And James offers us a glimpse of this, and he gives us the example of the prophet Elijah. You know, I don't know about you, but I used to really have this bad habit of looking like at Elijah, Elisha, Elisha, and, you know, all these people in the Old Testament, and Paul in the New Testament, and Peter and Jane. think, man, these guys are just some kind of an elevated form of human life. They're a step above everybody else. And don't you find it interesting in this passage, the first thing James says about Isaiah, as, a, as a, Elijah, I should say, is he's a, he's a normal person like the rest of us. In other words, what he's trying to get his readers to understand is Elijah was a normal person. He could be sitting in here. We wouldn't notice him except if he's got the cool outfit and the staff he used to have. I'd like to see him do some stuff. But anyway, he, he would be just like the rest of us. Any one of us in here that was alive during that time could have been Elijah. You could have been Elijah. That's what James is pointing out because he doesn't want people to think, okay, well, yeah, that's Elijah the prophet. Look what he did. James says, nope, he's a normal person. And he had the same flaws, the same struggles, and we'll see this. This is what I, Elijah is, is amazing to me. I love Elijah. But what I love is the story he references. It's one of my favorites in the Bible because it just cracks me up. I just see the mental picture of it. What was going on is Ahab was the king of Israel at the time of Elijah. And he had, him and his wife Jezebel, you've probably heard of her. I don't know if any of you named your daughters Jezebel, but I kind of doubt it. Hope you didn't. I've heard somebody name their cat that once, and when I was around the cat, I kind of got it. She was ornery. But the thing is, the nation was going down to where they were doing Baal worship, and this was a horrible form of worship. It wasn't worshiping God. Human sacrifices, it was as much debauchery as you can imagine. And the king and his wife were leading the nation into this. So God finally said, you know what, I've had enough of this. He sends Elijah. And he told Elijah, have a talk with Ahab. And Elijah's doing this, and Elijah says, you know, this is so bad, I'm going to pray to God that it's not going to rain. And so he did. It didn't rain in that region for three and a half years. The nation's having some issues. After three and a half years, God tells Elijah, he sent him for where he had been protecting him. He said, hey, go back and see, the, go, go, go back and see Ahab. And so he goes and sees Ahab. He says, hey, you know, it's been, I'm paraphrasing a lot here, but it hadn't rained for three and a half years and because I prayed to God and God showed you his power. You're worshiping Baal, but has Baal helped you out here? Nope. So Elijah said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do a gunfight at the OK Corral. Me against 450 of your prophets. Bring them, in, bring them on. And I've just got a one-shooter. I don't even need a six-shooter. 
He brings him on, and the, this is so funny. I would love to make a movie with this, just this scene. The prophets of Baal, they built their little altar, and they started praying to their God, and they were jumping up and down, and, and this was going on for hours, and as the days went on, they would, the, the time went on, they yelled louder and louder. They started cutting themselves, you know, shooting off their blood, and, and the whole time, Elijah's just sitting back like, is your God in the bathroom? Does he not hear? And he just kept taunting them. And I think when he taunted them, it just made them more angry, and they just went more at it. And finally, Elijah said, okay, that's not working. Build an altar. Let's make a moat. Give me a bunch of water. And because the thing was, he was going to call fire down from heaven. Put a bunch of water, and he started praying to God. And all of a sudden, the fire from heaven came down, obliterated the altar, licked up all the water, and so everybody realized who God was. It wasn't Baal. And then Elijah said for fun, hey, round up all those prophets. We're going to whack them. We're going Italian style on them. And took them all out. Well, they got what they deserved, huh? What do you say, man? I just love that scene where they're jumping up and down and cutting each other. It's just, it's just funny. Is your God in the bathroom? Is he not hear you? Um, it's It's great. So Elijah prayed, and guess what happened? It rained again. And just to show Elijah's humanity, if you don't know the rest of the story, little Jezebel got mad because her little prophets all were laying there dead, dismembered, because she was the one that was kind of heading this up. Her husband was just so weak, he just did whatever she told him. And uh, she decided she wanted to kill Elijah. Now, I don't know about you, but I would think after Elijah just oversaw this great great event he'd be on top of the world say yeah bring that old hag on we'll take her on you know he didn't he ran and hid crying for god woe is me i can't believe this she's trying to kill me and i'm just like are you kidding me but elijah's just like the rest of us he's a regular person but yet look what his prayers did and that little episode with jezebel just showed his humanity even more you know ultimately whoops ultimately prayer can lead to many changes prayer can cause God's providence to be exercised in special ways. Matthew, Jesus told us this. He told them because, of, because the, 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 uh, the disciples couldn't cast out somebody they were trying to cast out. And Jesus said, when they asked, well, why couldn't we do it? He says, it was because, you're, because of your little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move here to, hit, to there and it will move, nothing will be impossible for you. By the way, that'd be pretty cool if you moved somewhere else in town and wanted better views. Hey, let's move the Wachukas over here. But anyway, um, Jesus said that with, you've got that kind of faith, you can move mountains. Ultimately, prayer springs forth from our trust and our faith in God. If you don't have those things, you won't do it. Or you'll just do it like on the mummy where you're pulling all the little necklaces up till you find one that works. It doesn't work that way. Have you ever pondered what Jesus said in that passage? I've thought a lot about that. And I'm like, and part of me is like, okay, if I'm going to pray that mountain move, and I know he's using some figurative language here, I've never, I haven't moved it. So is it because I don't have enough faith? Or, you, know, you can really blow your mind on this, but the point is, Jesus, you've got something at your disposal that you're wasting because you're not using it. Put your faith in God. Lift up your prayers to him. When we face a variety of things in life, we have to discipline ourselves to turn to God first him in prayer and then let the blessings flow as we close this theory series our thought on this, for this message is simply this we learn to trust god by praying and we learn to pray by praying therefore pray think that it makes sense if you don't think about it <laughs> anyway we learn to trust god by praying we learn to pray by praying therefore pray that's the message james is giving them this morning our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision and if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I don't know what's holding you back. I know when I, when I made that decision in my life, I was so thankful I did. It changed, every, it changed everything. And I didn't all of a sudden become anything. It took a while because I'm hard-headed, so God took a little bit longer working with me. But it, just the, the relief of coming out of that baptistry, knowing that the many sins I committed, the guilt I was carrying, the shame I was carrying, it stayed in the water. It changes your life and you receive God's dwelling of the dwelling of the God's Holy Spirit within you, you're going to rise and walk in a newness of life. And you're a part of God's family. You'll be with him for eternity. 
If that's what you need this morning, we offer it to you. During our song of decision, if you have a decision to make for Jesus, we invite you to come forward this morning to confess him as your Lord, to put your faith in him, to repent to him of your sins, to meet him in the baptismal waters, where at that point the scripture tells us your sins are washed away, you receive the indwelling of the presence of the Holy Spirit, you rise and walk in the newness of life, you clothe yourselves with Christ, you belong to him. If that's what you need, we offer it to you. If you've already been baptized by immersion into Christ and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward this morning. And maybe you're going through some of the stuff that James is talking about, except maybe the good stuff. And you need, you need some prayer. If you come forward, I'll be glad to pray with you and I'll be glad to lift you up in prayer to the Lord. So if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward this morning as we stand and sing our song of decision. come to this time in our service where we do our time of communion and one of the things I love about that song the the part of that song is the old school uh, I surrender all and I've always liked that song I think it's really neat because it talks about that you know to surrender even in the field of battle even everything might tell you you have to 
but you ultimately have to make the decision to do it. You're either going to dig in and die on that hill, or you're going to surrender and fight another day. And when our, in our lives, we're facing a losing battle when, we're, when we don't have Jesus. You're going to lose. Vic, defeat is 100% for sure. But when I made that decision in my life to surrender my life, no, my wife didn't make me do it. I'm glad she, you know, we were dating. I wasn't a Christian in the beginning. I'm glad she didn't. Later she said, well, if you didn't become a Christian, I wouldn't have married you. I'm glad she didn't tell me that because I'd have jumped in that water first date, you know, because I knew that's who I was supposed to be with. But I did what I did because I surrendered all to him, all to him. I freely gave. Now, in fairness, there were some things I had it took me a little longer to let go of, but ultimately I knew what I needed to do. I gave myself to him. I gave him my life. He didn't take it. He didn't force me to do it. It wasn't coerced. And so it, sometimes it amazes me as Christians, sometimes, we're, sometimes we, I can tell some people feel, well, I'm being cheated in somehow, or I'm not all in. I'm just kind of living half for Jesus and half for the world. You can't do that because Jesus didn't sort of go to the cross. He fully went to the cross. He didn't sort of die on the cross. He didn't sort of get beaten. He was all in. He surrendered to all that willingly because he loves you that much. And so my encouragement for you this morning as we take our communion is to remember we can't just halfway do it with Jesus. I realize it's a process, but you've got to be willing to surrender it all. And my prayer is each day that I surrender more and more and more and more. I've been, a, I've been a Christian for 38 years, I think. I'm trying to do the math in my head. I know it's amazing. I'm only, like, I'm only 28 years old. How can I do it? Yeah. Tell my body that when I wake up. But I still know each and every day it's a daily surrender, and there's more things that I find I need to give it to Jesus. I need to give it to Jesus. It doesn't end. Just like my relationship with my wife. I could say, you know, we've been married 38 years, and I could say, well, you know what? I put in my time. It's been, it's good. And as soon as I stop putting, putting my heart into her, our relationship after 38 years will crumble because it's a, it's a work of love. It's got to be there all the time. My faith in Jesus is something that will continue. My hope is it will continue to grow and to get closer to the day I take my last breath because that's what it's all about. That's what it means to surrender. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful that we can come around the table this morning together and celebrate this time of communion where we remember the, 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 the cup represents your blood that was shed for us. We remember that the, the bread represents your body that, was, that took the punishment we deserve, Lord. But even more than those things, we remember what you did, why you did, and what it means, and the promises for the future. Father, I pray that as we examine our hearts today, that we do so from a heart of surrender, that we look for areas we've been holding on to in life, stubbornly holding on to, and then we'll just say, Jesus, it's yours. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
on the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements for this week. Um, Jerry has all of his youth activities today. Roger's group's meeting this evening. Jules has the LOL group meeting at her house this week. We've got all of our studies going on. Prime time this week is going to be at the Bright Spot in Hereford, or Hereford, Pal is that technically Hereford or Palominas? I think it's Palominas, yeah, because it's a long way away. But anyway, if you would like to go to the Bright Spot, it's really good if you, they got really good food there. Uh, make sure you sign up before Tuesday evening, and you can do it online, or there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. If you go to our church calendar and click on Prime Time for Friday, you'll see the, the place you can sign up. Um, it'll be a lot of fun. Operation Christmas Child's accepting donations of school supplies, so you can see the announcement on that. Uh, back to since school is in session, we're resuming accepting, par, uh, expect, accepting donations for Peach's Pantry, non-perishable food items, and it's, there's a list in there. Stitches of Love is still looking for some items. Uh, Lori's Life Group is going to begin on Wednesday, September 6th, and so if you ladies would like to be a part of that, uh, make sure you hit the sign-up sheet in the foyer. And Jan is still looking for empty, empty rectangular Kleenex boxes uh, that she can use in kids' ways. So if you, can, if you have any of those, that would be awesome. Um, I think that's all the announcements we have. On the back of your bulletin, we have our prayer concerns. We ask that you take those with you. Um, we had a, a good men's prayer uh, uh, pancake breakfast a couple weeks ago, so we're thankful for that. Had a lot of new faces, and uh, that was good. We also have a lot of special concerns we've been praying for. We have people that health, with health issues we've been lifting up in prayer. Troops who are deployed. We have shut-ins that we keep in contact with. We pray for Peach's Pantry and their new move. Hopefully they're getting everything set up with that. And then the Southern Mexico Mission. And we're thankful for the work that they do. So at this time, let's stand together. We'll have a closing prayer. And the band will lead us out with a little bit of a song. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful that we could be together today. What a joy. And I pray that as we live life, life this week, Father, we do so with a joyful heart and that we are always in communication with you through the rough times and the good times, that we trust you and know that you love us and know you'll be there with us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.